pro isn't just being good at your job. It's, it's like a person that you are. You're listening to the Pro Status Podcast. Welcome back to another Pro Status episode. I'm Drake. I'm Jesse. And today we have with us Toby Johnson. And he is a good friend, first off. He is a pro cinematographer, filmmaker, producer, director. Uh, he does all of it. <laughs> Has worked on several projects with us, but he's also done things like the Bright Ones movie and the Unplanned movie, which are feature films. So he's done a lot of pro video in the film industry, I guess you could say. So Toby, welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So just so we can get to know you or the audience can get to know you a little bit, maybe tell us a little bit about your background being raised up in, in video and, and that kind of thing. Sure. Absolutely. I think I got my start in the whole world of cinematography and photography in high school. Um, I did black and white photography and it was uh, all in the dark room. So I think that kind of gave me a different perspective just of finding frames and and how to actually do Photoshop in the dark room mm -hmm. and what that looked like. So after building a foundation of actual, you know, dark room photography, uh, it just kind of hit a peak for me where I just lost interest. I just, it, it didn't fill all of the things. Yeah. I love music. I love character story, stuff like that. Photography had that, but it just, it maxed out there. And then video became kind of the next thing. So I thought about movies in high school um, and I did a summer camp um, at New York Film Academy. And that's when everything changed for me. It was like photography, framing, all, all of the exposure, all the composition stuff that I love. And then it was character development. And then it was challenging the story side and the creative. And then mm -hmm. so that's that's where it started. After I graduated high school, it kind of got changed for me because I, I went on more of like the Christian road. I went to yep. a ministry school in Texas. Because they told me that if I did the ministry school for a year, I could go to their film uh, school. <laughs> so I, I won't name names for the sake of this, but <laughs> so the whole time, the whole year, corporate exercise, ministry placement, the whole nine yards to get to this thing. And then when I graduated um, after that year, I just changed my mind. Mm -hmm. It was just like, nope, I'm not doing this. So then Bethel Church, long story short, went to Bethel Church in Reading and met you guys at that point through... What was once sound wisdom? Oh wow! Yeah. And it was a that was the media company, and it was I don't even know seven people. And at that point, what XL twos, GL twos, GL twos, XL ones, that whole thing, XL ones, yep. mini DV, yep. And I think yeah, the camaraderie of playing with those cameras it started early for us on more of like a team and more musical because of uh, worship. You know, worship was kind of the backbone of Bethel, anyways, and so immersed into how to capture live music and mm -hmm. live speaking. So it was, it was a lot of that broadcast style and, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, 10 years of that now we're here, you know, just at heaven come. So you can see the progress of style and, you know, where that's gone. Yeah, absolutely. It's a little, little overview. Yeah. Um, in case you guys haven't, like, or you don't know, like recently we did the two heaven come conferences this year. And we, we've talked about wanting to do this for a long time, but we were able to capture them on red cameras. Yeah. 
which is one is weird because we broadcast in 2398, that whole thing. Everyone laughs at us. <laughs> um, but it's, it's been like a, a dream for a long time, uh, to be able to do that. And so we actually did that this year twice, twice, twice in the same year, which is really cool. And then Jesse did another event with Toby that was captured on red too. So it's kind of become a little bit of our thing. I guess you could say we made it to the big time boys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, backstory on that too, is that for man, how many years is it? The very beginning it was, we, we were all in 29, like our 31st. Yep. And it just, it never got to where we wanted it to be. We were all like, how do we make worship more cinematic? Mm-hmm. How do we capture more of an authentic, you know, visceral like experience out of these cameras? Because I mean, they were broadcast cameras. What are you going to do at that point? You know, <laughs> that you just hit your limit where there's no depth of field. There's no nothing there. And it was like, well, why don't we just try streaming in? Remember the whole thing? Let's stream in 24. Oh yeah. And at that point, what, eight, nine years ago, Yep. Everyone was like, you're retarded. Like that's no, nobody does that. Yeah, exactly. That's not a thing. Gosh, I remember <laughs> yeah. we had, there was a time there we had two sets of teams just because one team was capturing 24 mm-hmm. while the other team was actually shooting in 29. And if I remember correctly, this is way back when I used to like volunteer video for sound wisdom. I remember Sal showing me for worship put it in 24 or 23, and then in speaking switch the switch on the side of the camera. I put it in 30, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, we always wanted to stream in 23, That GL2 frame mode, then that was, that was where it was at. Mm-hmm. Remember oh, oh, man. Little switch? the login capture where you'd like be sitting there and it would drop a frame and you'd wake up in the morning and it's like, oh, cool. Start over. Yep. Man. It's like that. It's like what you were talking about last night with the balls game. It takes like four hours to get yeah. to one point and then you make one wrong move and you're, you have to start all over again. Oh, um, okay. So you've obviously worked in the Christian industry, done a lot of broadcast film mm-hmm. stuff. You've also done like some promos. Toby and I have worked on a couple of cool promos like the starlight album promo mm-hmm. was so sick. We can link that down below all done in one take. Super cool. But you've also worked kind of in Hollywood with like the unplanned movie. Yeah. Yeah. Non-union. Yeah. So like, how is that different than, I mean, it it was a Christian, a Christian movie, right? Yeah. A Christian film. Uh, Both directors were Christian. I think uh, produced by, yeah, Christians. Um, Well, you definitely have a different, uh, you probably have something cool to say. I mean, Drake's production manager, for touring and Bethel events and I uh, missed live events. So <laughs> you're like the most film guy that we have. Yeah. So, so like, how is it different or what did you walk away with something like shooting a movie? That was like your second movie in a row too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because I, I think working with the DP drew Ma on both of those films, he understood my style. And I think coming from a more of like a handheld background, and more of, I think when you film with bigger teams for so long, mm-hmm. you're, you're forcing yourself to think like an editor a lot more because of having a live director in your ear, in your ear all the time, mm-hmm. you're picturing the edit and you're, and you're knowing that like, I'm creating scenes out of different shot compositions. Yeah. So 
it makes you very intuitive, but it makes it second nature. And I think that was kind of a, a helpful thing to be on a film where I was free to be myself in that. Uh, some of the things that were newer, you know, operating a Fisher Dolly and working on that and being a lot more on Dana Dollies and stuff. But with the, with nicer heads, it was this, it was funny because I remember being on a 7D and on like a Ben Rowe tripod for ever mm-hmm. trying to make it perfect and fighting for it until I did enough weddings to buy the next tripod or so true. steal a beg and borrow to get gear to make whatever we were doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad I wasn't cheated that process by like having money because it forced me to be good with the tools that I had. Yeah. So to be honest, like having the intuition to think like the edit editor and having the freedom to pick my shots in that way. Mm-hmm. And then having the gear that's just industry standard, unbelievable O'Connor heads and stuff that I had never worked on before. Yeah. So in, on bright ones, we use Ursa mini pros in the um, Sigma cine zooms and mostly Ronin yeah. with an, with an easy rig. And that had a serene arm on it. And so that, that was really nice. And I used that pretty much the whole show. My back is still feeling that one, but <laughs> mostly Ronin. And then unplanned was a lot of, for me, wide shots and Dana Dolly and Fisher Dolly. Mm-hmm. I was pretty much on those the entire show. Would you say that part of your style is like the up close wide, like the macro wide stuff? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, I think... I like interacting with the character, you know, whatever subject is Mm -hmm. so much in a physical way that I, I like to be handheld and I like to be wide and I like to be close up. Yeah. Yeah. So 27 mil to like 45 Mm -hmm. is kind of where it's kind of a sweet spot. Yeah. That makes sense. And I think we've actually talked about this before and you, and you just mentioned it like having to be scrappy back in the day. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. you don't, there is no money. There's no budget. You're just, here's my DSLR and my Amazon <laughs> prime equipment. And I'm just making it work. And I think that's helped all of us. Oh, um, no doubt. Like now we actually get to work with a budget, but the background of having to always make it work, no matter what I think has it, that part of that is plays into the success that we have now because we're always going back to that. Absolutely. Yeah. We always revert back to, Oh, we can make this happen. You know, there could be, we're trying to rig up something on a camera and it's like, we don't have all the stuff to do it, but we're going to figure out (laughs) the most J rigged way to do it. And we'll always. Yeah. And actually like, I think some guys actually uh, just kind of shut down where we are like, Oh, it's no big deal. We'll just use this thing. Yeah. make it work always always make it work so maybe maybe too much maybe we're too good yeah i mean there's a there's an aspect <laughs> of like you have to be you have to have a lot of macgyver blood to make it in the industry oh for sure you just have to yep all those bits and, and, bobs. and uh, if you have a smile on your face and you're macgyver you're gonna win it's just mm-hmm. have a solution because you're gonna have problems right like no matter what, the demons come out of every single wire and it's going to be a thing. <laughs> it's but so it also, true. I think it, it, it keeps you light and it keeps you on budget. Mm-hmm. Like your profit margins are better when you're, you have been forced to work with nothing. Yeah. Cause you gotta, you know, you gotta feed your family and you have to rent gear. So you have to do both at some point. Yep. You get bigger. It's, and I work with some of these companies that like 
the waste is kind of insane, to be honest. Yeah. They rent, they'll rent two of everything just to have it, you know, and not even know that you, you don't, you're not going to use any of it. Yep. You know, we've sent back stuff on open boxes before. And that's just, I've never seen that on any show that you or Jesse have ever run. There's never been waste, but that's always been exactly what we needed, but only what we needed. Mm-hmm. And obviously you guys have a lot of years of uh, doing build outs, you know, custom build outs for people and building systems, mm-hmm. which is kind of rare for, I think a lot of production companies to understand multiple different combinations of units. Like when it comes to like lighting consoles, sound stage, all of that stuff. I don't, I don't, I only know camera, but you guys have been working in all of it for 10 years now. So that gives you kind of an advantage. Yeah. I'd say I'll use that as a testimonial on my website. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Go for it. I made it up, but no big deal. (laughs) So you would say that all of your, your knowledge is just experience. Like you didn't go to school or anything. It's all just been learning as you go. One summer camp. And then 2008, I think, is when um, Anthony West, who has been a mentor to all of us and a good good friend, uh, he moved from from London to Reading mm-hmm. and started Be- uh, started Bethel TV. And so he trained all of us on everything from just like composition to even buying a Steadicam, like we had a Steadicam, and then doing trainings on that as well. So. Mm-hmm. He was a, he was a great operator and he worked for ITV in London and I can't remember what else ITV. He definitely brought a pro level to Bethel when he came over Yeah, where we were kind of limping along, trying to figure out what the heck we were doing. Yeah, (laughs) And then he definitely brought a a pro level to the team. Yeah, he did. And I've only met two people like him. One guy here in Atlanta I met uh, recently who reminded me so much of him and it was just the, uh, the air of, confidence and like years of experience, but a soft, like fathering presence. You just felt safe, but he also challenged you to come out and and be yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in whatever you're doing. And uh, so under his mentorship for that long is where I learned all of the camera operation stuff and kind of gear management too. I think like taking care of things and how to manage stuff because he was very, you know, tight with the ship. And I thought that was helpful for me in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Even when it comes to the co- like shot composition, he was he was very strict about things, and then yeah. let us break them when it was necessary or when it meant something, like when it was motivated. Yeah, and so I think that's been honestly that's the word of my career in my style and cinematography would have to be motivation. Mm-hmm. Like I'm very motivated emotionally and motivated story wise and all that and all things, and I think I do that with the operating operating a camera physically. So he, he really like formed that in us and mm-hmm. yeah, it's great. I think I've told people this before that are especially volunteers, like at churches and stuff where they like step into the director role and sit in the director's seat. And I'm like, have you ever run a camera before? Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, you know, once or twice. And I'm like, you actually need to know how to run a camera to be able to direct. And I think that goes into like tying, I'm trying to tie it into what you were talking about. Like as a cinematographer being an editor as well, like yeah, has helped. I, I know it's helped me. I seen it help you even like on Sunday, we were talking about Luke Manwaring where I was watching his shots and I was like, Oh, you can tell he edits. Oh yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I mean, reference, we, we have had a chronic problem of never having return video. Yeah. But actually, it's been a good thing <laughs> because, you know, well, on stage camera, I can usually see on an LED somewhere what the current What's shot happening. is. So yeah. it's fine. But with the blindness of that, it's actually been helpful because subconsciously, if I can't see and have reference, I'm building on my own shots with the tempo mm-hmm. of whatever's happening. And then when I hear feedback from the director on what's happening or like I can tell where that person is in their shot or in their movement. Uh, yeah. It, it's like, it's a challenge every time, but once you start to like only um, rely on the director's energy and what mm-hmm. he's trying to get at timing wise, it's amazing how many times I'll listen to only that and try to play off the director and the music that's happening at the same time, matching both of their energies. Mm-hmm. And then the director freaks out and goes, I love that shot so much. Oh my God, this is amazing. And then, you know, from there, yeah. oh, you yeah. build this momentum to where that's where I think our team gets. And I haven't felt that on any other team I've been on. And that's this mm-hmm. really weird, like high that we get into. Yep. Oh, I totally agree. I think it goes the other way too. Like sometimes the director might struggle or just like not be in the rhythm yet, you know, and on a camera, like you, you know mm-hmm. where the director should be oftentimes and you can offer shots and like kind of push and like help direct from camera and kind of help steer things back on track too. Sure. Oh, I was just on a show um, where the talent was, um, They'd be talking to camera one and he, ta- he'd lean to ca- or like turn to camera two. And so he's forcing the edit, right. In mm-hmm. a sense, like if you think of it that way, whatever actions, like whatever's happening on stage, we have a good balance. We found a good, healthy balance. I think, or at least we're, it will never be done, but we're finding it of <laughs> actively engaging, like being in the pocket in that it's like the, the guitar solo that's coming up after the big, big build on the drums or whatever if there's a solo coming, like the solo can motivate the cut, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And so at somewhere between the big build on the drums and the guitar solo, there can be a cut. Yeah. We've, we found a way to where a cut before the drum build up, if it's a big, you know, crowd wide reverse shot or something and it whip pans, right? Mm-hmm. Somehow in that weird high, I'm talking about if the whip goes from that camera to the drum build, and then walks to the electric solo that's in the same frame. So mm-hmm. it's filled and yep. that creates to the next cut where it doesn't jar you away from the build into the solo. actually like brings you into that solo. Yeah. You know, that's the, that's the kind of stuff that we do where the director has to trust the operator. Like Jesse's saying, there's a yeah. lot of trust back and forth where the operator will lean into the, you know, the director's energy and what he's going for. But then when, you know, the director sees, us going for something strange like Chad Vegas, the director who, you know, is at heaven cup. He's really good about that. He'll know when to go, okay, you're doing something weird. And then when he trusts me, yeah. I get to do a reverse walk up all the way, you know, 20 feet from the drum set to right behind the lead vocal. Yeah. And I'm ruining every other shot. <laughs> I, I forced every other shot into the dirt, <laughs> Yep. but because that whole thing happened, it was beautiful and it was an awesome moment. You know, it wouldn't yeah. happen any other way. It's true. So, I've been on the receiving end of that where I'm like, dang, Toby's in my shot. Yeah. <laughs> but Stupid I'm sitting face. there going, I know Toby's got it. Like he knows when to push it. Yeah. yeah. And I just back off, you know, it's like, all right. Well, I think part of that is we've developed 
like our team has like we've kept the same team for a long time and so we've been mm-hmm. developing our team for sure and actually the last several interviews have been focused around our conversations have been focused around the value of our community and team and mm-hmm. trust and all that kind of stuff so it's really cool yeah. that it's like a recurring theme yeah. you have mm-hmm. to build trust with your team and on top of that too not having the program it it forces you to also watch the listen. other people and listen. and listen you're listening to what's happening in the room obviously but like if i'm on stage with toby i will constantly be watching what he's doing too and one yeah. try to stay out of his way but shoot what he's not shooting it drives me um, nuts when they're not watching like you got peripheral vision use it you know like you should always be aware we have a great photo of toby from the first heaven come where he's shooting something for sure you can tell but he's not even looking at his screen <laughs> of his camera like he's shooting Either the drums or something for sure, but you can tell he's looking. He's already looking where he's going to go. He, yeah. he knows where he's going to go. <laughs> yeah, and that's that extra level. That's it, it takes you to the, the next level. That's funny. I, I was just in Nashville yesterday on a show. This is a no cussing show, isn't it? So it's a poop show. <laughs> it was a poop show. Anyways, two of the operators there were like, they're friends with Chad Vegas somehow. Who's that a director at Bethel? They were asking me about like lensing and camera placement for the venue that they were in. And, mm-hmm. and then they were saying they were trying to get at like, how do we recreate your, that, that style that you guys are doing yeah. here, you know, mm-hmm. with lenses and camera placement and what jib to buy, you know, or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's like all, all gear. I, I mean, so the last, the, like by the end of it, I just was like, I don't know, dude, the only thing I can tell you is, there's a team trust that has to be built. There mm-hmm. has to be a, a common style. There has to be a give and take in there. Mm-hmm. And, the, and then the biggest thing is tell your team, beat it into their skull every single day. You are always live. Yep. And like you are never not live because whether yeah. it's a, you know, if it's a post, if it's post cut, I have been, you know, stuffed so many times because people are, uh, fil- filming their feet walk around the room for 12 minutes until they find just the right shot, you know? Yeah. And, and in a lot of ways, they're not understanding that as an editor, a lot of the most beautiful moments were not planned. Yeah. Even from an operation standpoint, if I'm filming something and I do a whip pan and it doesn't work, but it actually hits an led wall. That's at that point showing something from a weird, you know, perspective, Yeah, but it, it but it fits so well that it's like, an inanimate object is now a character in some way. Not that you're just flipping your camera around. I've been on those shows too, where it's just like, Hey, I just want you to literally put the camera on an easy rig. Don't touch it. And then run around the room. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like spinning a circle. No, not spin circles. It just feels like I'm not, it's not motivated at all. But when you, when they can capture that in their church, you know, if they can let their operators play, Mm-hmm. and and like guide them in one direction i mean yeah. how many how many sundays did we stream where the pastors came up and were like please stop doing that like i need to <laughs> never do that again <laughs> yeah it's true i did a barrel roll at, on one sunday yeah in like 2000 something yeah a full 360 uh, barrel roll shot oh proud of you i mean if you're still gross. doing that it's a little dated so <laughs> yeah, we are laughing right around now. dutch all day long <laughs> Watch your Dutch. Um, you know, I used to. Um, I That's remember a T-shirt right there. Watch yeah, your Dutch. Watch your Dutch. Is, 
uh, or a hat. Uh, go to the merch store after this and uh, buy the <laughs> washer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I remember I had a director, like my instruction was, I mean, you know who I'm talking about, but the instruction I would always get was get the secret sauce. That, w- that was literally my, my shot list in quotes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which basically meant like get this, get the moments and the stuff that isn't necessarily the main capture, but it's all the special things that you have to be perceptive and feel. Yeah. Right. The, little, the, the happy accidents, you know? Yeah. Yep. And you yep. just gotta be ready. And I, I literally was literally, that was my full position and it was so much fun. Yeah. So much fun. I think it took me like, I mean, it's, I'm still not there, but it took me a long time to tune out all of the energy in the room on any live broadcast that had more than 10 people to tune out the energy of everyone there and the noise and the movement to just look at the screen and create, you know, to, to start to frame and think about it from, from a cinematography standpoint. Yeah. And also things that normally you wouldn't quite look at, but, but also highlight really awesome moments. One time we were, I can't remember what heaven come it was, but it was backstage and Brian Johnson was like laying on the floor and then the band was behind him and his hands were in the air. And then there was like a weird red light from an exit sign lighting him in the wings. It was so strange. And I saw him there. I ran way too far behind the stage and like got the shot. And I remember then the photographer saw me and like, was like, Oh, and then came over and sniped it. It's still the same exact shot. And, it, <laughs> and I think it made one of their posts or whatever, but it was, it was so funny. Cause like, I don't, you never would look for that stuff, but when you do get it and it becomes a movie, it's like, Whoa, that's, that's a different thing. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. Looking at that plays into paying attention to actually what's happening in the room. Like, and what it could not be on the stage. Like, I know we're talking about like a live broadcast with music right now, but it is really just paying attention to everything that's going on. And it might not be the drum solo or the guitar solo that's happening. It might be something off the stage. And that's where I think it takes it to the next level is you're capturing something that no one else is seeing. And that's, I mean, that's our job. Yeah, I think, and I think, you know, we've all experienced that moment where everybody's just in that flow. Yep. And it's almost like you're watching the program unfold. And this is like this out of body experience. Like I know I've had these moments where I'm running camera and I'm no longer even consciously aware of what my body's doing. I'm just yeah. literally taking it in. Uh, it's, it's super wild. Yeah. Well, you can, you can get into a rhythm for sure on camera. And, and also like you are in the experience while you're filming the it's experience. A collective. It's like a synergy yeah. uh, between everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to know like, what is like a favorite, do you have a favorite moment specifically for you, Toby running camera where it just, I don't know, made you want to cry or something, you know? <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, was talking to someone the other day and, and there were those, it's like, those are the little bumps that get you by pre-production and the pain and load in, load out. Yeah. All the stuff that you go through, you know, net 90 on payment, whatever it is. What made me want to cry is that we just rented cameras for a shoot and lens rentals didn't deliver them. <laughs> and so at 9 45 PM, we went to Best Buy and bought $10,000 worth of camera gear 
and oh they didn't have anything but Sony A6400s. And we had to, anyways, that's why I forgot the question. 400s. Yeah. Yikes. So, anyway. So you bought them all and returned them? <laughs> we rented them. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Which I call a restock fee. It's the same thing. One moment, man, uh, that I wanted to cry. Jeez. Those are like, like I was saying, those are the bumps that get me by all the pain. And I think heaven come the last one, there were a couple moments where we were all just so together in the shots that it was insane. And you could just feel it. It was, it, it went on a roll. It was the, almost the entire song. Mm-hmm. That was kind of crazy. Sometimes you get in those moments where you you don't know where you end and the shot is, for some reason, you, your brain is living through that shot. Mm-hmm. It's not that you're seeing a shot on a monitor. It's that I, I don't even, you can't explain it. It's a high. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's crack. It's why we got into film. And I have those moments yeah. sometimes, but they're powerful. I'm, and I'm trying to think of one that's like specific. I mean, that one shot that you got of JP at Heaven Come. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, that brought so much emotion to the entire room watching. Yeah. And yeah, that was standing backstage, one. like watching the program like that was insane. That made me want to cry. Yeah. Yeah. I get, you get that choked up feeling as an operator and it's just, it's crazy to... It's almost like, man, if you, if something in history was happening that was pretty significant mm-hmm. and you had a, a photography camera and you just happen to like take a picture of the exact thing happening yeah, and the framing is perfect yep. and you're the only one who got that picture. Not that you're like going to be famous for the picture, but you know, you got it yeah. somehow like the stars aligned and it just, everything worked. Yeah. That's how it feels, but it's 24 frames per second and it happens for 16 seconds in a row. And yeah. you're just flying across some stage somewhere like <laughs> with the camera on and a headset. It's just such a weird thing. But yeah, man, that's a feeling. It's crazy how long that those 16 seconds can feel to you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like it feels like a minute, <laughs> but that those are the moments. Like that's but why, also, if a director you trusts do. you for 16 seconds, it better be a really good shot. It so better that be was a little bit awesome. of exaggeration. <laughs> 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 or, you know, like at the last conference, the switcher panel cut out and it's stuck on a shot. And it's stuck on Luke. Oh, and Luke man. Manwaring. And it's like, well, uh, stay alive until we can fix it. Good luck. <laughs> All right, bud. You're alive. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, no better person to land on because it was so steady. Yeah. Like, Oh yeah. For the probably it's probably only 30 seconds, which is a long time in a cut. He was in the pit with the 7200. Yeah, he was in the crowd with the 7200. So he was just moving around between people's hands and the back to the vocal. And I mean, yeah, it we made it look intentional because that's again pro. <laughs> like, try not, worship. To, try not to let people know when there's issues happening. Like, it's true. And like, I think one of the like I, it's amazing to me how much of our like personality i guess really yeah our personality and our confidence like our attitude it translates on camera yeah, yeah. like if you're not confident like if that situation arises like you, you know you're gonna screw it up you yep. know but it's it's incredible how like being present being mindful of like obviously the cut and the directing and and whatnot but i, I don't know i just think it's crazy how mm-hmm how that affects your work and it does translate on translates on screen and your ability to perform and mm-hmm. the energy sure. of the team. And it's cultural too, you know, like I think we've been building that for a long time. It's just, yeah. the, it's the language we use with each other. It's also the trust we give each other. It's also, 
just our background at the church we were all at. You know, I think that we yeah. learned a lot. We learned very specific things that whether we're in the church world now or not, I think we carry with us. Culture of honor is one of those things that I think we carry still. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to honor you because I'm honorable, not because you deserve it. I mean, yeah. that's unbelievable because you walk onto a set and you have, you know, a dick director. It's like, well, I, there's nothing for me to prove here. I'm not going to like be mean back to you or yell back at you. I'm just going to smile and I'm going to do the best job I can. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also going to take as many liberties as I can with the camera. Like, Always steal as many liberties with it in your operation as you can. That's my only advice would be push, push it so far that you, that people tell you to dial it back all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Push your, yeah, push it. I mean, you don't want the director being the one that's like telling you to push it constantly or I need more from you. You know, I need more energy. Can you like not just stand there on the drum set? (laughs) It's like you want to definitely be pushing the boundaries. And that's all of us. That's our personality. It's like, let's explore what hasn't been explored. Let's, let's do what, what hasn't been done. And Don't be Rob. <laughs> yes. Rob the robot. That's the new t-shirt. Don't be Rob. We got two t-shirts tonight, boys. <laughs> this plays into the pro status, like a message of like, we want to be a pro isn't just being good at your job. It's, it's like a person that you are, right? You become pro before yeah. you show up pro and, and perform. Yeah. And so like one of the big things that we're wanting to communicate to people listening to the show is you might be the most talented person in the room, but if you have a bad attitude, it doesn't matter. You're yeah. you're stealing. You're stealing no. from the team, you're stealing from other people's contributions. Like I mean, and it's ha- it's happened before actually. It happened to Toby once where you know, the decision had to be made, attitude versus talent. Mm-hmm. Oh, you have a story? Well, I think we all know what story this is, but... Well, let Toby tell it. No, um, no preface it, because there there's so many stories. It was 2017. <laughs> <laughs> it was fall, 2017. It was, oh, it was June I remember this. Okay. I mean, for me, like, I will pick attitude, because you can teach talent. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you can't always teach the attitude part. Yep. Yeah, and, that, that, you know, attitude and, and also smart isn't always good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and smart doesn't mean good in the, in the production world. I have to like stress that because I've been running into that lately. Mm-hmm. Everybody, you know, a lot of people here in this culture, it's a little bit different, but the other person's so smart. They know everything about everything about, about the production. And, I'm, and that's fine. You know, like being, you know, knowing your gear and all that's great. Yeah. But if you don't have the character to show up on time and you don't have the character to, mm-hmm always be live in a sense of like, yeah, it's, it's actually really tiring to shoot an entire show where I'm trying to do a one or the entire, the, the entire time. I'm not, I'm trying to tie every shot so that I'm always usable for post cut. Mm-hmm. Imagine it, you know, do this thing. Have you ever recorded yourself and then watched your entire shot for the whole set? If you do that, oh, you'll yeah. want to punch yourself Man. in the face so much that it'll yeah. make you improve. Cause you'll see that you wasted so much time with, because you're not thinking ahead. You're not planning the next shot. You're not on. Yeah. Your brain's not on. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that that character, you can't teach, you know? No. That's actually a great tip. If you want to improve, record yourself. Oh, yeah. For, your whole, for a whole set. And then watch it back. 
And you won't. I mean, You'll watch like 15 seconds and be like, God, I hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> or you recorded for an hour and you realize I there's only 30 minutes of usable content in this one hour clip. <laughs> That's that is that's the whole career though. It is it's doing a job and getting home and realizing that you suck. That's just <laughs> that's it. Because you're never happy. No. No. It, it always you always have to take it to the next level. Every time I watch something, I'm like, that's great. But my brain is instantly thinking about how it could be better. Yeah. Every good, time. Like good enough is an absolute enemy in in production. Yeah. Oh yeah. Man, that is so true. Like I, you know, it's funny though. Cause like this year, one of the biggest things I've had to confront in myself is a, is perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And for me, perfectionism has like stopped me from taking action or taking risk in certain areas. Mm-hmm. And so it's actually disabled me, uh, from, from accomplishing other goals. And so like trying to apply myself to take more risks and not, you know, learning new ways to measure our success. Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah. I don't go home feeling super bummed out. You know, so I don't hate myself, but I'm like, did the team work really well together? Did we communicate well? Were we prepared? Did we have things in order? Did we show up the way that we were supposed to show up? You know what I mean? Like yeah. I start going down this different list and did I perform at an 80% or a 90% or did I give 110%? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, it, yeah, it's just a different, th- different measurement for sure. Cause perfectionism can really hurt you. But I think in the same way, complacency and, you know, incorporate a lot of the corporate gigs, man, the guys that do medical like medical seminars and like just talking head stuff. Yeah. So hard to apply your full self and be fully present. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, you know, I, like, I just check out, man. I like, I die and then I wake <laughs> up at the end of the conference and I get a per diem check and I go to my hotel room and I just question why I chose this path. You know, like it's just, <laughs> yeah, that's real. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, and then you did the next, the next shoot you do is like some live thing. that's insane and so fun. And you love the people. And then you're freelance to get three weeks off because something got canceled. And it's like, mm-hmm. this, yep. it, it, we're, we're carnies, man. You got to just, just partner yeah. with the life. Absolutely. Okay. So let's uh, usually towards the end, we kind of just do some like popcorn, question, the popcorn ish questions. Like what flavor you like a little bit better than that, but yeah. So this question is no budget. What camera and lens combo which you always shoot with or are most inspired by right now. Yeah. Or are most inspired by right now without a budget limit for what application? Mm, what's going to bring you joy. Oh, what's going to bring me joy. Yeah. <laughs> to me, that's the best filter, right? <laughs> Man, I would probably say I would, I do the Alexa mini LF lens combo. See, I, I mean, maybe anamorphics if I'm talking, having fun. Yeah. You know, and no budget. I mean, Oh man. I know there's so many great options out there. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Well, okay. So gear that's exciting for me, just not on like an unlimited budget thing is that we're, we're at a time right now where there's, you know, the, the pocket six K and, yeah. and the monitor's great. And the image quality is insane. <laughs> and nope. it's straight to SSD, which is like unbelievable. Yeah. I think I still pinch myself at what's available now compared to what even five years ago was available and what we were fighting with. So you're like, what's your favorite thing right now? And my favorite thing right now is that everything's moving so fast that I can't even decide what's I want or what's cool. I mean, you never have, but that's even true. Worse than worst. 
I mean, you still don't own a camera, right? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Okay. Oh. Okay. <laughs> um, I bought a Fuji X-T3 as a, like, nice. just play camera. And uh-huh. I'm in love with it. I've been buying vintage lenses. I have a kind of a fetish for... That sounds like a weird word. Like I rub <laughs> my feet on them or something. No. <laughs> I collect them. I love vintage lenses. And that camera has such a great filmic look to it. Even filming video. And it's tiny. Mm-hmm. I can I can run around with it. That's kind of one of my favorite things. Uh, no internal no internal st- stabilization, which is kind of like its downfall. But I needed yeah. it for photography too for my wife's business. So that's why I got that. And I've been just even owning a camera has been inc- incredible because I haven't owned one in so long that like I'm doing funny projects for people. Like we're going to do a horror film in the next couple of days for a, a coffee shop that's uh, Brother Moto Coffee Shop in Atlanta and. Mm-hmm. We're just just screwing around. I haven't done that in so long, so it's fun. That's awesome. But if I could do that with a uh, Alexa of any kind, that'd be fun too. <laughs> it's funny. The only camera that I own right now is a Sony RX100, which is technically a point and shoot camera. Whoa! <laughs> I don't own any other camera, which is weird. You went from a One DX Mark II to a point and shoot. Uh-huh. I went from a red to a 1DX. Yeah, I went from a red to a 1DX to a point and shoot. Well, you didn't want to carry a 14-pound brick around it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, what about a film? Like, what about something on television, a film? Something that's inspiring you right now? Mm. It'd be cool if it was probably current. Like, what's something current? It could be a TV show. Yeah, i um, yeah, just definitely. been watching uh, the newest uh, Peaky Blinders. I really like that show. I... Been watching The Office. <laughs> you can never go wrong with that. Parks and Rec, The Office, and this isn't like the most recent thing, but this is this is something that kind of sparked like a journey I've been going down. And mm-hmm. I uh, saw First Reformed with Ethan Hawke. It was in four three, and pretty sure it's four three, and it was just insane. As you know, watching it as a cinematographer or someone who aspires to be as good as these people and you see the like depth in the framing and the composition and you've been looking at 169 or 235 for so long that it just it wrecks you Mm -hmm. you know it it just doesn't make sense to me again and so that made me start to think about composition in a different way not that i'm gonna go to 69 and do some weird stuff but it did start to open up kind of lens choices and focal lengths and how I want to shoot different scenes. It's like, I, I like to do, I'd like French overs over, you know, in a conversation. I, I enjoy that look, you know? And so then I'm like, all right, that's one thing that I like put in my style Bible, I guess. Like I'm, yeah. I like this look. Some of their composition when it comes to like visual weight and making the shots equal weighted. And then when something would happen and motivate, they would change that visual weight to symbolize some kind of emotional thing. So the camera philosophy side of that challenged me to start thinking more about that. Mm -hmm. So I've been drawn more towards movies that do that as opposed to like action movies. You know, I just just kind of over, over those. I think that also adds to the pro status mark is like, yeah, we have our style. We have stuff that we like and Mm -hmm. that we constantly do, but also being open and inspired by other people to where we're open to, get out of our own box yeah. that we're, that we're in. Cause I think, I don't know for me, and it might've been for you watching the Revenant mm-hmm. that really inspired the macro super wide angle lens thing. Yeah. 
yeah. getting up close, but at 16 millimeter type yeah. of, of look, which is a look, it's a style for sure. Yeah. And that, that really is one of those films that inspired me. Sure. But what you're saying is, is true. Like being open to seeing what other people are doing and being like, actually, I don't have to shoot everything at 16 millimeter. <laughs> right. I don't have to do that. No. Yeah. Have you seen the Florida project? I don't think so. No. Okay. It's, it's another like more art filmy, uh-huh. but the, like, I don't want to ruin it, but they ended up using like an iPhone or something in the movie at one mm-hmm. part. Actually it's at the like very end, the climax. And I just, it, I hated it so much when I saw the last shot of that movie that it ruined, it ruined a perfect movie sort of thing. <laughs> like I just felt like they just stopped writing the movie and they're like, or they lost funding and had to just finish it. So they're like, I don't know, just get a shot of this thing. And then the movie ended and I was so angry. And then I sat with the movie for a while and I started to like understand why they chose that or why they would have wanted to choose that or what it would have done. And, and maybe the react, the reaction that I had was, was something that they wanted, they intended for the mm-hmm. viewer to have. Yeah. And if you don't challenge yourself, if you don't watch things that are weird and, and often or not in your style of filming or whatever, if you don't do that, then you will never progress because you can't pick up even the littlest things. I don't like Dutch, but when I see it done in a motivated way, it's mm-hmm. beautiful. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah. oh, it's, that was per- that was the perfect use of that tool. Therefore, I can't just say I hate Dutch. I'll never use Dutch. Never, ever, never, ever. You know. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, my rant. I do. I do want to ask one thing. Like, yeah. So we, our listeners are going to be. I mean, there's going to be a mix of like church production, and you know, not everybody's going to be working in the church and for ministry. So I would. A lot of them are doing their side hustle, right? Like a lot of production guys are volunteering at church on the weekends and their day job is a normal paying gig doing some kind of media work. What's a word of encouragement, something to inspire them uh, or or what's something that you wish somebody had told you? I think I'm kind of struggling with that or like overcoming that now. And that's that you're, if you're pursuing a career in film or like you dream to be something someday, whatever it is, director, cinematographer, Mm-hmm. Or you want to be in the practical world, you want to direct live stuff. As you're doing this craft, as you're learning this craft, if you cheat your process in any level, like you don't take a risk and, and buy a piece of gear that you can afford to start, you know, getting your hands wet and, and feet wet and doing that thing. And you're not finding a mentor, like somebody that does film and just ask if you can shadow them, mm-hmm. you know, just watch them just to, to learn from somebody that has been doing this forever to be an observer because you're going to use that as an operator. If you're an observer, you're going to look for shots. So start practicing, picking up weird little tricks and tips because the bigger your tool belt gets as a MacGyver, the better you're going to be on set. And if you have the weirdest little connectors in your toolbox, cause that we do that. Like Jesse is the king of this. He'll have a Pelican case full of everything, you know, yep. a coat hanger, a pipe bomb, <laughs> I don't know what, but it's 10 years. It's like you've been building this and you know that you're going to need it and you'll have that tool. I definitely plan for what everyone's probably forgot. Sure. Yes. And you've also built custom stuff. You've also built custom tools. You've built, you know, custom uh, rigging gear, stuff like that. I mean, it, but that had to be done because you saw a problem and you fixed it. You didn't just buy an expensive part. You had to learn the mechanics of why it does what it does. 
And then you could go on to use the tool properly and respect the tool properly. Like, don't cheat your process. If you want to be a director, you have to learn how to shoot. You have to learn how to edit. You have to learn how to talk yeah. to people and work with teams, you know? Mm-hmm. So that that's the biggest thing is that you just chill out because I'm flipping burgers right now when it comes to what I'm doing. Like, I, I hate a lot of what I do sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's like you do corporate stuff or whatever and it gets really boring and it's all full of cam stuff and you dream of doing movies or writing or whatever, but you're paying your bills and you're on a camera and you're moving forward. It's what you do like on your off time. And I'm guilty of this, like on the worst, if you have four or five days off and you own a camera and you don't shoot Mm -hmm. stuff and you don't stay sharp or you're not learning and, and researching and, studying what, what you're interested in. Like, even if it's something weird within film that you're interested in, it will come back to help you in the, in the future. If you think that script writing for today is a cool thing and you, and you just start researching script writing, but then you end up being, becoming an op camera operator, like that will serve you at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yep. I mean, they're all stepping stones and, and not cheating your, your journey by wanting to get there faster. Or th- the biggest thing is not putting pressure on yourself to think that, like you're going to conquer the mountain of media for God. And like, if you don't like stay up and work 18 hours at a time and, and push really hard and deny yourself. And, you know, it's like so weird, but you get into that thing where that's service and, and not mm-hmm. charging your proper day rate and not getting enough sleep and not making contracts that your clients sign that protect yeah. yourself, you know, yep. like, don't fall into that trap either of over serving and over committing. Cause I'm the king of over committing and then staying way too long. And then when I become a turd and my job, you know, like quality drops, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's like, it's just a, it's a recipe for disaster to do that. That's awesome. Yeah. That's actually That's really great. great. And it's so true. I think, you know, one of my favorite off time things is taking pictures. Yeah. I love photography for my, mm-hmm. just my free time. Mm-hmm. It like simplifies it all. And there's just like this simple satisfaction and relaxation in it. Mm-hmm. So it's still the same work. It keeps me in love with what the work is. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's my favorite pastime. But yeah, I love what you said about valuing yourself too. Such a big deal. Absolutely. Like no one, no one's asking you to lay, <laughs> no one's asking you to lay on your sword. You know what I mean? Yep. Like that's just not necessary. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just not necessary in the same way. It's not necessary to like try to come under a bit. Like you get, you know, someone says, Hey, I want to do this thing. And it's, you, you really like it and it's cool. And they're like, send me a bid. And then you, you go, well, I want to be competitive. Right. That's the, you know, I, I want to make sure I'm not over that. But then you start whittling yourself down Yep. in your conversations, what your self-talk as you're writing the bid. And by the end of it, you go, okay, I'm going to pay myself $2. And then you just about send it and you're like, wait, what? What? <laughs> like, I'm not upselling anything. I'm not making sure that, you know, it's like my dad yeah. always told me, he's like, you always, he was a general contractor. And mm-hmm. it's like, he adds 15% to all of his workers for himself. He has 15% to the entire, like, he has all of these things that he goes, yeah, but I have to talk to Bob. Yep. Yeah. all day long. And you know, Bob, he wants to go to the bathroom <laughs> 18 times. Like those things aren't accounted for. But once you realize by the end of a trip, you get home and you're toast. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like you're not even there for your family. You've been up for 18 hours. You're irritable. And then you mm-hmm. have to leave on a trip the next week. 
I don't really want to get divorced. Like I want my, my marriage to be healthy and happy. And I want to see my kids. If you get this, if you get it nailed down in the early stages of this whole thing where you're charging, you know, what you are worth, what you actually fully believe you're worth. And then you're putting in these things in, in whatever bidder contract that protects your time and your food. Cause you know, I mean, I've, how many times have we not eaten mm-hmm. <laughs> because of an oversight Yep. for a full day, you know, and it affects you. It affects your, your operation. You're not fully there. You can't connect with it. You can't be a team. It, it, what you're saying, which is true. Like, you know, we're not, I, I get triggered sometimes because when I feel like a client's treating me as a commodity, I'm like, well then just hire the local guys, you know, <laughs> hire the local guys. They're cheaper. Like, I don't really yeah. need to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want me and what I bring to the table, like pay what I pay, what I charge and, and I'm going to bring my experience, my insight, my knowledge, and I'm going to bring and so much more value of bits and bops. Cause I, I guarantee you, I <laughs> have experience and, and I guarantee you that I care more than the other guy. Yeah. Yeah. So just pay up because you can't afford. I mean, yeah. You can't, yeah. Like what's it going to cost you to screw it up? It's going to cost so much more. I mean, I kind of dealt with that recently where it just kept, the budget kept getting whittled and down and down and down and down to the point where it's like, do you really want me to be there? I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> right? That's the hardest thing for people. I think is like, you know, we whittle ourselves down and then, you know, like being willing to just say no and walk away and, yeah, you know, there's going to be another opportunity. So, well, that's the hard thing being freelance too is you don't want to say no. Yeah, because you're like, this is work. But that's a page. I need yeah. money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But all there, life is that is the one thing I will say, and I, I live by this. My wife and I both do. Is life is never short of opportunity. Life yep. will never be. You know that law of attraction thing is so important, and it's really true. Yep. If you believe that the universe, God, is out for your well-being and your best interest. And you're going to pursue the day as though great things are going to happen. And you treat people the same way. And also you, you don't isolate. You're always in the face of people. You're always in some way connecting with the direction that you want to go. You're trying to build momentum into whatever industry mm-hmm. it, it will work. Mm-hmm. Like it just always does. I've never missed a payment. Well, I have missed a payment and I have had to have my dad bail me out at times, but like those were, <laughs> those were really, really weird times other things were happening. You yeah. Know? yeah. It's like, I have a trust in, in that, you know, that whatever mm-hmm. you are like pursuing, if you pursue it with like f- full honesty and looking for it in every way, being aware and being that it could be right next to you at all, the t- at all times, you know, mm-hmm. those jobs always happen. Like they're always going to happen and they may not be the best jobs, but they'll get you by until you do something great. You know, mm-hmm. You know, before we actually re- uh, started recording this podcast, mm-hmm. I was at, uh, I was having a conversation with somebody um, over coffee and he, you know, he was just like, Hey, so what do you do? And I'm like, well, I mean, by trade, I mean, I am a video guy at heart. Yeah. But I'm like, but what I really do, like if you observe me with clients and stuff, I am creating experience. I am extracting things from them. Right. Like I'm yeah. connecting their hearts and their passions. I'm connecting what they do mm-hmm. with passion and purpose. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, absolutely. and that, which is such a different mindset, you know? Mm-hmm. And if I'm worried about, if I'm thinking about money all the time and I'm thinking about like, Oh my gosh, am I going to have enough? I can't even show up relationally with these clients and bring this whole other mindset. Cause I'm so distracted by money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so it's just a, such a different thing. And like, you know, if, if, if it, if something falls through, like I can't, 
tell you how many times, you know, someone says, ah, man, I can't do it. I'm backing out. And I'm thinking, shoot, like I needed that like three grand because I got this thing I got to pay. And then the next (laughs) day, you know, something better comes along. Um, Yeah, you know, like you can't, you, I mean, I've said it on this podcast before you can't operate in scarcity because you can't, you can't do your job. Mm -hmm. No, you just can't show up to pretty much anything. If that's, that's where your, where your mindset is. Yeah. And if that is where your mindset is, then that's fine. But you know, we're traveling production guys. And we're bringing yeah. our A game, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that, that happens in not just our performance in, on the job, but, you know, we're, we're trying to bring it in our personal life and it's all connected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's like, I've been on a rampage of trying to bring the art back to film mm-hmm. because yeah. I lost it so much in production and having just gone like kind of numb to it. It's like, I lost the art in why I did what it, what I do. Mm-hmm. And, it, and if you can maintain the art of it, then you know mm-hmm. that some projects aren't for you. Like some projects are actually, they, you'd be doing it a disservice if you joined, even though the pay is okay. And you think you need the money. And mm-hmm. I've said no to some jobs that would have killed me, literally killed me, you know, and financially killed me and all, you know, <laughs> if you operate out of, a, of that lack and, and just fear, you're going to take jobs that a lot of times hurt you worse than they help you because you just weren't mm-hmm. aware. Like you're just not a good fit for that. So it takes us a bit of humility to say no to jobs, you know, that, you know, you probably could do well, but you, it's just like, no, I am sorry. The things that I bring to the set and on camera are very specific. And I don't, if I do what I'm doing on this show or whatever, Mm -hmm. I'm just not that I'm, it, it won't look the way you want it to look because my heart's not in it. That's my thing is like, I can do it for you and it'll look fine. You'll be happy. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just kind of, sometimes I want to say no, just because I know that it'll, it'll hurt me worse. It's going to help me in the long run. Yeah. You know, you know, a lot of people think that if they can just get their financial need met, then they can do something. Yeah. Like once I get this mark, then I can introduce rest and all these healthy (laughs) habits in your life. Right. Yeah. Like we've all done that. I still do it, you know, and you know, but the reality is like, yeah, energy, like protecting your energy and your creativity and that culture within, right? Like we're stewarding something here. And, you know, if, if I didn't do that and I was chasing the money, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't be able to do things like this, you know, like have the energy or the inspiration or creativity to even have this conversation, which Mm -hmm. hopefully is going to bring value to people, you know, but protecting that should be number one, because out of that is where we produce our best work. Absolutely. You know? And Mm -hmm. so if you don't have work, then, then create something, you know? Like do inspired work. Yeah. Don't just go find a cruddy job. <laughs> so true. Just, just, yeah. I think that's worth n- mentioning. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a balance for sure. I mean, you're always going to fight the fear of failure, you know, and I do anyway. Mm-hmm. I, I fear a lot of things that never happen. Probably 90% of my fears will never happen, <laughs> you know, yeah. yep. but they can be all I can, I see for, the whole week that I have $10 in my account is the week that all the fears come out of the woods, you know, and then a job comes or something happens. And it's like, once again, there's never a lack of opportunity. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. the the time, you know, honestly, the times I think where I've been absolutely broke were the times I isolated myself in my house because of 
feeling discouraged or whatever and not going out and just being present. Because if I would have walked into a couple buildings I know of, I would have gotten a job. Like I would have gotten a gig to do something somewhere. Had I called mm-hmm. my friends, had I like just reached out to people that are local that hang out and talk about film or do something. There are so many things on on Facebook and Instagram now that are crazy. Like you hear there, everyone's filming a short film right now on Facebook and some of the groups locally, whatever city you're in. Yeah. You just type it in. They're filming short films. You can go on set and learn and experience stuff. I didn't have that high school. I lived in a town of 800 people. So I, (laughs) wow, 800 people. There was one paved road. You know, it was like, we had nothing to do. Yeah. Uh, no internet, no nothing. We had a bag phone. We had one of those cell phones in a bag, oh, like yeah. a leather bag. It worked half the time. It was, wow. I remember like, that. Can you imagine being 14, like talking to your girl, your first girlfriend? I just said 14 and first girlfriend. So yes, that's me. <laughs> uh, on a bag phone and just, it cuts out the whole time. You just can't really hear her and you're, so I, I'm going to hang up now. No, you hang up now. Oh. Wait, did you already hang up now? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And then your dad gets mad at you because that was like 39 cents a minute or something. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You already know how much that just cost me. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, man. (sighs) Awesome. Well, that's a long, that was a good episode. I think that was great. There's a lot of good content in there. I'm toast. Sorry if I blanked a lot there. No, you're good. The last two trips have been crazy, but it, like I said, they're all worth it because once you get to work with people that you love and you get to create real art, mm-hmm. you know that you're actually making a painting that's commissioned and you have the liberty to be yourself in that. And then when you see the recognition of that happening and people see what you're doing and they're actually in the moment with you while you're mm-hmm. stoked. I mean, there's no greater feeling in the world to me. So yeah mm-hmm. it's all worth it absolutely i always tell people if you're not having fun this is how i live this is how i make decisions I'm just like if i'm not having fun i'm not doing it right and yeah, i'm gonna adjust sure. you know like we there's times to suck it up and if it's enabling you to ha- go have fun do it mm-hmm. but uh-huh. if you're not overall having fun you're just not doing it right and life's an adventure and production is a big freaking adventure oh so, yeah anyway yeah. well Thanks, Toby, yeah. for being on the show. If you guys want to hear more content like this, subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts because we're going to keep posting. And again, if you have questions, make sure you post them in the comments. Toby will personally reply to all of them. So, Sure, absolutely. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to the Pro Status Podcast. Be sure to go to the website and download all the episode details. 